This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Start with a, just a word of prayer before we get into the word. Lord God in heaven, we praise you and we glorify you, Lord. We thank you, dear God, in heaven for what you've done in our lives, Lord. We thank you how you have saved us and redeemed us, O God. We thank you, dear God, in heaven that you've adopted us and brought us very near to your side, Lord God. We praise you for the change you've done in us, O God. We thank you, dear God, in heaven that it is your good pleasure, O God, to speak to your people. Lord, we come to you, Lord, to hear from you. Lord, to get food for our souls, Lord God something for the road ahead, Lord God. We praise you and we glorify you. We ask you, Lord, to be glorified in all that's said and done tonight, Lord, to be praised and lifted up, O God, because you are worthy and you alone are worthy, O God. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. You have your Bibles with you this evening. Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Very well known uh, book of the Bible. Um, Martin spoke on Second Timothy four a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, not that I'm sa- speaking on the same message, but it's uh, uh, it's one of those ones you can keep coming back to and keep getting something else in it for you know for us something that God wants to speak to us and God wants to encourage us and sometimes God wants to stir us up and He wants to move us on. He wants to give us a warning, something of hope and something of encouragement. He's a wonderful way of doing that through his scriptures. And I'm only going to read two scriptures here to begin with. We'll make it three. Second Corinthians, or Second Timothy 4. And we'll start at verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. That's the only verses I'm going to read there. Paul, at the end of his life, he's, he's in a prison in Rome, awaiting sentence of death from the Roman officials. He's sitting and he's thinking about his life and he's thinking about the church. And he thinks of young Timothy, a young pastor who'd come up underneath him, someone who he had nurtured and encouraged, someone who he had instructed, who he had given uh, instruction in the sound doctrines, um, who he had encouraged him um, dealing with people. He had nurtured his faith. He had quite a lot of ties with him and quite a lot of time for Timothy. And here he comes to Timothy and in his final letter, he mentions three specific believers in three different ways. Now, a very good chance that Timothy would have been aware of all of the ones that I've just mentioned there. He'd, they'd gone to the different churches, maybe together. Maybe they'd come to the church that Timothy was at, or they had known each other. And there's three particular people here I want to look at. Demas, Mark, and Luke. Or as uh, in good preaching style, the renegade, the restored, and the remainer. Remainers obviously only got that since the, the referendum last year, but when you know what the idea, someone who's remaining, I couldn't say loyalist, because it wouldn't, wouldn't go. And I think these three men represent in many ways 
various aspects of the body of Christ at different times. I'm not going to say that any of them have gone away from the faith or anything like that there. But all of us can fall into one of these categories at one time or other. And I want us to see if we can hear a warning. I want us to see if we can get hope. And I want us to see if we can be encouraged. Because each one of them represent those three things in different ways. And it's important that we are honest with ourselves as we're honest with our position before God. Let's face it, we're all sitting here tonight. We've come out, we've put a bit of effort in, some of us more than others, but we've come out to church tonight. We've come to gather around the word and we've come to hear from God. And we might all feel, oh, this is brilliant. I'm on fire for God. I'm, I love God and all the rest. But things can happen in life. Circumstances can happen. People can have disasters. People can have things that will come against them, come against their mind and come against their heart. Things can happen. And for any one of us to say, that's it, I have made it. I now know I'm saved and heaven bound and that's all I have to worry about. We do not know what tomorrow holds. We do not know what will come against us. So it is important that we stay sincere with God. We stay honest with God. It's important that we continually keep a living relationship with God. Don't rest on yesterday's victories, on yesterday's word uh, in the Bible, on yesterday's anything. We cannot rest on that. When the children of Israel went out to get the manna from heaven, when it was scattered, God told them to take enough for today. Don't store it up because it'll be off tomorrow. So to our relationship with God, it is important that we don't just try and store up what happened yesterday. Yes, there's things we can look at and we can cherish and things that are important for us. They define us and they make us, but we cannot rest our relationship on, oh, I remembered last year whenever I read the Bible through all year or two years ago when I did it or three years ago when I did it or four years ago. It has to be something that's living now it is, has to be something we are living and breathing today. And each one of these men give us something to keep us going. So to get the, 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 the I don't say the worst one out of the way, Demas the renegade. Um, who was Demas? Well, we don't know an awful lot about him. We don't really know. The scriptures say, hint at things about him. He's actually mentioned in three separate places in the scriptures. He's mentioned in Colossians and Philemon, and here again in Timothy. It's safe to say, though, he's referred to in terms of my fellow worker. It's safe to say that he was passionate about God, that he was serving God in whatever capacity. I'm not going to say he was a preacher. I'm going to say that he was, in a, he was alongside Paul because he was, he was my fellow worker. Paul called him that. And they went about and they, they held uh, outreaches, we would say. They went to synagogues. Uh, Demas was there doing whatever he was doing, maybe organizing it, maybe walking around with a collection basket, maybe shaking people's hands at the door. He was involved. He wasn't a, a, a part-time Christian. He wasn't someone who just blasé went, oh, yes, I, I, just, I love God and that's it. He was involved. He was serving God. He was doing his bit for the mission. Paul says that Demas was a laborer with me in the mission, in this great call to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. He must have had something of a devotion to God. You know, to, to go around with the apostle Paul and to spend time with him, 
uh, in Philemon and Colossians were probably written whenever Paul was first under house arrest in Rome. So he was there with him daily, seeing him writing these letters to these churches. He was there when he wrote the, the letter to Philemon. Uh, um, he was there involved in it. He wasn't a part-time person. There's a certain kinship and connection. He wasn't a blow-in. So for Paul, this time, whenever Demas has forsaken me, it's, as it says there in verse 10, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and departed for Thessalonica. It must have been a, quite a blow. You know, here's Paul, the last letter he's going to write, awaiting the headsman's axe. And here Demas, who'd been with them for all this time, you know, they say he was in prison in, uh, for the first imprisonment for maybe two years in Rome. And here Demas has walked away. I'm sure facing the gallows, Paul was hurt by that. Let's be honest, they're people. People are people. I mean, pastors hurt by, by things that happen, by people who, who, who walk away and what have you. It affects us. We are real people. Demas has walked away. He has left, he'd loved the world more than, he almost says it, more than he loved me, more than he loved God. Tomorrow we too can grow cold. I, I just want to encourage us and give us that warning to keep short accounts with God, to stay in the word, to stay on your knees before God praying, to keep that relationship with God alive and vibrant. Having loved this present world, it would remind you of John 3 and 16 where it says, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. But instead, Demas doesn't love in the same way that God loves. God's love was a sacrificial love. It was a love that wanted to reach out, that wanted to change. Demas' love here would almost imply that it was a love to embrace, a love for self, selfishness and selfish purposes. We can't really know what's going on, but the fact that he has forsaken me says, a lot about what was going on in his heart and mind. The world that he's talking about here is a temporal world. The transient things of life that, she, that charm us most. We're not talking about food and clothes. We're talking about the attractiveness of wealth and security in worldly terms. The acclaim of man and the comfort of riches. Demas did not merely become enamored by the world but he lost sight of the things of God. And this is the danger, losing sight of the things of God. Whenever we take our eyes off Christ and off the things of God, we are on shaky ground. That is whenever we can go into all sorts of problems and all sorts of things in our lives can arise that we didn't never imagined. Can you imagine the excitement of the early church Paul taking the gospel to these regions that had never heard of the name of Christ, 
Demas going along with them and they're, they're sharing the gospel to these people who were lost in superstition and, and lost in all sorts of things. They were believing in the gods of old, the Greek gods and the Roman gods. And, and here they're bringing news of, of, of the one true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God who created all things. Those things that you're enamored with, they're all actually just superstitious things. They're not real. I mean, you pray to those gods, but does anything happen? Can you imagine the change of, of message that these people were hearing, how they were hearing about a God who cares about them, a God who, who came to save them, you know, a God who sent his only begotten son to, to live on this earth. I mean, this is a revolutionary message. These people in the, the first century would have been, wow, this is amazing. They would have been seeing lives and, and communities transformed, people looking to want to know more about God, about the things of God. It would have been an exciting. We're all here. I don't want to say we're stale old Christians, but you know, we've been Christians for many years, many of us. But can you imagine a community where the only people who are saved for any length of time is the pastor and the, the, the elders in the church? Everyone else is a new believer. Can you imagine the excitement of that? How, how wonderful that would be. Yes, there'd be challenges. I'm sure a pastor would be scratching his head. Oh, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe they believed that. How did they get that out of that verse? You know, but, but the excitement of, of fresh territory, uh, of people who don't know, don't know anything. It would be wonderful. But Demas had seen all that transformation. He had seen lives changed as he traveled with Paul, as he had read what Paul had written to these churches. You know, pastor reminded us this morning about how Christianity had changed, the, had elevated women, had changed their role in society in many way, or their standing in society. Christianity changed society fundamentally. You know, the, the, the popular uh, culture will, and uh, academic circles, they all look at uh, reason as the great changer of society. The Greek reason and culture changed the world. There was Greek culture for 500 years, at least before Christianity came along. And people still believed in all the old gods and offered all the old sacrifices and did all the old things. I would submit that Christianity made the big change. Demas, Mark, and Luke all would have witnessed this change, the spread of this enlightened message of the equality of all man, the value that everyone had as people created by God, regardless of their ethnic origins, regardless of their cultural backgrounds. This has always been part of our message to say that God is a good God for all mankind, everyone equally. This makes Demas's move to turn away and to look at the things of the world even worse. It's more striking. As a, a veteran of the campaign, he turns his back. We would consider him an old hand, maybe even, even an old faithful, the greeter at the door. He would have been the Raymond of his day, you know. <laughs> faithful. And yet he took his eyes off Jesus. He took his eyes off God and he allowed his affections to be seduced. He allowed his self to be wooed by the world. Now, I don't mean to say necessarily that he backslid. That's not what I'm meaning necessarily. We don't know what he has done here, but he's walked away from what God called him to do. 
He's walked away from his role in spreading the gospel. Yes, he, he might not have been the big voice standing at the pulpit, but we all have a role to play. We all have a role to play, regardless of what we do in the church. Could it have been the persecution that was arising that, was, that made him have second thoughts, that made him look away? The Roman authorities and the Jews that had been persecuting in the past, and now it was becoming more severe. Paul was actually on his way to the headsman's axe. Could it have been the charm of false teachers? <clears throat> Remember at the beginning of 2 Timothy, it says, do, don't, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Maybe there was messages going around, Colossians, which is written against Gnosticism and things like that there. Maybe these things were, were coming into his mind and he was, uh, he was ruminating on them. And instead of storing up the word, he was storing up other things. Maybe there was things like that happen. We have to be very careful. One thing is for certain, he lost sight of God and the things of God. Turn in your Bibles again. The only other verse I'm going to read is turn over to Colossians chapter 3. It's over to the left. Colossians chapter 3. As I said, Colossians was written during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. Colossians 3, verse 1, I'm just going to read a few verses. It says, If then you were raised uh, with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you, will also, uh, you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members, uh, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Paul warning the people in Colossians and uh, the city of Colossae to, to, about these things. This is the way you were. This is the things that charmed you most. Put your affections on things of God. The thing that makes this striking is that you turn over the next page, Colossians 4, there's Demas. Demas is with me. Did Demas not hear the message, not hear the warning? The danger is real, it can be in our lives. We can allow things to creep up and to steal our affections. The world appeals to our flesh. It appeals to our basic human nature. Last time I spoke, I spoke on regeneration and how God changes us and gives us a new heart. And our old flesh, whenever we are changed, it is, goes into shock and it, it goes quiet and it sits. And we can feel all excited. We've been regenerated. We've been changed. We're redeemed and glory to God. We've got a new heart but it doesn't take long for the flesh to come up again and to start to uh, try to exert an influence over us. The danger is when we become, uh, when we, then anything in our lives becomes so big, so great, so, so much of a draw on us that we focus on it to the exclusion of Christ. When we'd rather do that, than spend time in the word, than spend time with God's people, than spend time in prayer. When those things 
attract us and pull us away, when we get our sight off the things of God. It says in the scriptures in uh, Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But if you read that verse, as my dad often reminds me, in the King James Bible, whenever they were writing something and they, they looked at the words and they said, right, that makes sense if I put in one word. And you see that in the King James, where they put a word in italics, which wasn't actually in the original text. But it lends, it lends to the meaning of the overall sense of the word, the verse. If you read that verse, Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There is, is written in italics. It is written in italics. So that was put in by the translators to say, the fool has said that there is no God. But you can also read that as saying, the fool has said in his heart, no God. No God. I've served for a while. I've done my bit. I've helped Paul for a while. But that's enough. No God, that's enough. The fool has said no to God. One of the things growing up, I have to say, fairy tales taught me I don't always have to watch out for the big bad wolf. Sometimes I have to watch out for granny with the wee red apple. Those subtle things, subtle things that would distract us, that would pull our gaze off Christ, that we would become focused on other things. Demas has done that. His eyes have come off Christ, have come off God, and he's looking at other things. 1 Samuel chapter 8, 6 and 7 says, the children of Israel came to the prophet and said, give us a king. We want to be like those around us. And it says, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me and I should not reign over them. When the people of God have turned their eyes from God onto those around them, onto those around them in the next town, the next city, the next nation, and have said, I want to be like that. This isn't good enough. I want that. And if you take your eyes off God, this will never be good enough doesn't matter what you do, whether you become the identical twin of the next door neighbor, this will never be good enough. So when you've got your eyes on God, then that straightens everything else out. It, it brings everything else into focus. The children of Israel took their eyes off God, the God of the covenant, the God of deliverance, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. They looked at the nations around them. The, they had kings and they wanted to be like them. See, taking your eyes off God often can mean putting your eyes on yourself and putting your eyes on where you find yourself. And you, you know, we used to sing the songs years ago that he is my portion. He is my portion. We used to believe that. He is my portion. He is enough for me. 
you know what? I love all these modern songs, but there's not enough of that in there, that he's enough. You know, you're in trouble when you look at those around you and say, I wish I was like. As individuals and as a church, we'd be in trouble. Oh, I wish we had this or we had that. Oh, look at that church over there and the way they do praise and worship. Oh, look at their community work. Look at their youth work. Look at this and look at that. We will be planting the seeds for our own destruction. And I don't mean that necessarily, not just as a church, but as individuals. If we plant seeds in our heart where we look at things around us and we allow those things to to attract our attention and we start to long for things that we don't have, when we start to covet the neighbor's things or the neighbor's church, I can remember growing up in the uh, growing up in it Sunday mor- or Sunday evenings, playing with my, my friends on Sunday afternoon, and my parents would come to me and say, "Come on, that's it, going to church." Oh, and I, I used to hate it for a while. I, I hated it. Oh, boys of dears, last thing you wanted to do on a Sunday evening, you know, it was you know because you had back school the next day. But you know what? It was it, it was good that because my parents were teaching me what was important and what was not important. They were teaching me values. I have friends and relatives, you know, and they turn and they say, oh, if only my kids would, would come to Christ. Grown up kids, you know, and I'm going like, well, did you teach them what was important? Did they see it by your lifestyle? Now, I know there's some of us here whose kids might not be in church tonight, but their seeds have been planted. The seeds have been planted in their lives. They know what is important to you. They know what you value, what you put weight upon. They know where your eyes are fixed. Glory to God. Trust God. Sometimes when we think about Jesus and he's calling his disciples, you know, we we go down the list and we see Jesus and he's calling each one of them. This might be a bit controversial for some people, but I don't think he picked Judas in order to pick one that would betray him. I think he was honest and genuinely picking each one of them because he seen something in them that would be good for the kingdom, a potential in them. Yes, I don't, I, I, doubt, I believe entirely that he knew one would betray him, but I don't necessarily believe that it, when he picked them, he knew, okay, there's one who's gonna write a gospel. There's one who's gonna preach on the day of Pentecost. There's one who's going to write the book of Revelation. There's one who's going to be a missionary to this country. There's one who's going to, you know, and oh, we've got one, I need one who's going to betray me. Let's, he'll do there. I don't think he did that. I don't think he did that. Because that's not God's way. God does not pick anyone to fail. He does not call anyone for ministry or service hoping that they will fail. That is not God's way. God is a God of hope. He's a God of good things. He's not a God who calls in order to watch someone fail. God will not open a door for you to to do something for him, to serve him in any way, in order to get some sick pleasure by watching you fail. That is not God's way. God is a God of good things. God is a God of good plans. We all love that verse in Jeremiah, don't we? I know the plans I have for you, plans for good. He's a God of good things. Yes, 
he was betrayed by Judas. Somewhere along the lines, Judas turned his eyes from Christ and he started to look at the fame or possibly the power or possibly the wealth. Judas took his eyes off Jesus and put them onto the bag, as the scripture says. He took his eyes off the eternal and thought more about the temporal. He took his eyes off the kingdom of heaven that Jesus preached every day and put his eyes on the kingdom of this world that he walked in every day. Sounds like Demas, doesn't it? When we take our eyes off Christ and we put our eyes on ourselves and the world around us, another subsequent problem will be that we will be open to offense. We will be open to having our hearts broken by people around us, by having um, something happen or someone say something, especially in church life. Someone could say something or, or preach something or sing something and it could offend us. And as we rub shoulder to shoulder every week and every day, as we rub together, we'll find things that come, that people say th things, sometimes something innocuous, sometimes something harmless, but we could take great offense by it. So we take our eyes off Christ, we can become offended. We can eyes on our own pride, on our own self, on our own self-image and our own opinion of ourselves. But do they not know who I am? I have had countless opportunities to be offended, as I'm sure many of you have. Countless opportunities where someone has done something or said something in church where we have a, have a right, human right, to be offended. Oh, can't believe it. Can't believe it. After all these years, do they not know me? Do they not know I've been going to that church for 10 years, 15 years? Can't believe they would say that about me. Can't believe they would say that about pastor or the, the praise and worship or that. Oh, we would have countless opportunities to be offended. But when we keep our eyes on Christ and we hear those things, we hear things, whether it's on purpose or whether it's innocuous, we hear those things, they won't get down into our hearts. They won't affect us. If you know our family, we've had countless opportunities to be offended. Countless. But glory to God. I, and I say that sincerely. Glory to God, we haven't been offended. And if we have, we've asked God to help us and forgive us. Because we're human. I look at friends of mine who I grew up with. People I hear about every day, oh, they turned their back on God. They turned their back on the church because they were offended. I would submit that they took their eyes off God. Because God, at the end of the day, is the great judge of all the earth. And he will do what is right. And he knows the hearts of all men. And he'll deal with it. Demas walked away and became a renegade who loved this world more than he loved the kingdom of heaven. At least in his service. And number two, we come to Mark the Restored. I, don't, I won't spend long talking about Mark because Mark's been a well-preached on subject. This is a message of hope. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for the ministry. 
Again, we do not know why he left the company at Jer- to go to Jerusalem. He left in Acts 13, he left Paul and he part- departed his ways and he went to Jerusalem. We don't know why. There's been many different reasons conjured up by commentators. There's many different reasons and ideas. Maybe he went to visit his family, maybe to his, his mother, maybe she was sick. Maybe it was the perils and troubles that were happening around him. I mean, it was still early days. This was Paul's first missionary journey. Although it is striking that it does not attach the same significance as Demas's departure. Uh, there's no mention of loving other things or loving peace or loving anything like that there. We'd be speculating if we uh, tried to come up with a reason why he, he left Paul. But he did. He parted with Paul. Maybe he was very young. He hadn't uh, weighed up the, the full implications of what he was going to be doing. Um, he turned back. Maybe his initial motives weren't so pure. Maybe he was challenged in his faith and, you know, I really need to to get grounded before I go back. Maybe there's so many things that could have been. Maybe he just grew weary in well-doing. Been involved in everything in church for a while and, you know what, I'm tired. I need to go home. I I just can't deal with another crusade. I can't deal with another uh, um, Christmas drama. I can't deal with another outreach I can't deal with another container to load. I can't deal with another thing to go. And maybe he turned back for those reasons. You know, it's disappointing for pastors when they see potential in us that we don't see sometimes. Sometimes they see something in us and that potential for serving God in any sort of capacity, whatever it might be. And pastors, I'm sure David's had many times where he's seen people who've gone, oh, that person's great. They're all going on for God, you know. They're a passion for God and a love for God. You know, maybe in a little while they'll be ready to, to help out in this or to help out in that. And he's, he's had those ideas, but the, some reason they've, they've grown tired and they've gone weary and they've, they've turned back. We just, we don't know what, what, what Mark's reason for it was. Although he turned back, he did not waste his time. As we know, he wrote the gospel of Mark which was the first book written in the New Testament. Maybe even you could say it was used to inspire Paul to start writing. We don't know. Hear Paul's unforgettable words, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. He's useful. After someone has taken a break, taken a step back, you know, I'm not going to sit at the front, I'm going to sit at the back. I'm going to just... Bide my time, you know, and then the call came again. You know what? He's still useful for ministry. There's still something there for God to use. There's still something there that God can use to touch a life, to serve in the church. It's a wonderful encouragement that that no door is is closed forever, that God is the God who can still open doors even doors that we might have closed ourselves or walked away from, God is still the God of opportunity, the God of, of, of opportunity to serve. And he can still reach out to those um, people who have gone through things. Mark continued to show himself available and willing. Mark, the restored, is a message of hope for us. And thirdly and finally, Luke, the remainer, he didn't vote in the referendum. 
This is a message of encouragement. Luke is mentioned in simple terms. He is with me. Praise the Lord. Demas has turned back. Bring Mark with you. But at the minute, Luke is with me. Luke is here. The traveling physician historian commissioned by Theophilus to record the eyewitness testimonies of the life of Jesus. It seems to have been an effort to verify and authenticate the things that Luke and Theophilus had heard about Jesus. So Luke had undertaken a trip around Jerusalem, Galilee, Caesarea, Capernaum. He'd gone around asking people, did you know Jesus? What do you remember about Jesus? Can you imagine it? It's a mammoth task, really. He goes from town to town, uh, all that were mentioned. Maybe he found the key disciples and he asked them from key, can you give me any names? Can you tell me who was there? And he spoke to them and he went around gathering information to create his gospel because he wasn't a first-hand witness, but he recorded it. Can you imagine Luke going around, speaking to Mary, speaking to Joseph, you know, speaking to uh, um, Lazarus, to Peter, you know, to, to John, you know, going around and what, what do you remember he said? What do you remember that he did? He spent a lot of time. This is not something that you can do quickly. This is something that would have taken him um, days of travel from town to town or from place to place, finding the right person and arranging a, an appointment as it were, you know, and then sit down and I want to write this down and write down on a parchment. Can you imagine the stories that he would have heard? Can you imagine how he would have seen the excitement in their faces as they told about all that Jesus had said? Oh, I remember how Jesus talked to me. Oh, I remember what he said whenever he was here. Oh, I can remember how he healed this person. And, and, and Luke would have taken special notice. Oh, I can remember how this happened. I can remember when he did this. Could you imagine being there with those people as Luke was? And he was seeing that their, their faces light up and their excitement as they hear about Jesus and about his life. There's things that he records, Luke records things that no other gospel records. The story of the good Samaritan, the inopportune friend who kept knocking at the door, the rich man who built bigger barns, the story of the prodigal son, the crafty steward, the rich man and Lazarus, the unscrupulous judge, the publican and the sinner. He records all these things that, that none of the other gospels had recorded. And you, could you imagine when they're telling, oh, I remember this story. Oh, I can remember this story. Oh, could you imagine his, his heart was full with stories about Christ and about the things that he had said and done. Luke had been percolating, there's a good coffee term for you, percolating in the, in, in the stories of Christ. He'd been living it with people as, as they were recounting the stories. It was alive to them and it became alive to him. And he was excited by it and he was fascinated by it. Can you imagine him sitting at night after having an interview and reading his notes and rereading his notes and then seeing how they all slotted together and how maybe some corroborated other stories and things like that there? I guarantee you he had opportunities to turn back. Okay, Luke, you've written your gospel. We found out about Jesus. That's enough. But he said, that's not enough. I'm going to write the book of Acts now. Oh, the Acts about the Holy Spirit and the things of God after his resurrection. Why? What the Holy Spirit is doing. He didn't turn back. He had the opportunities to. I am sure of it. 
Theophilus, you only, you only commissioned me for one book. I've got to do another. The parable of the rich man who built bigger barns. Why would I turn back to, to, to gain a life of wealth and security financially? The rich man built bigger barns. He's the only one to hear the story, to write it down. God might be calling me home tonight. Why should I go turn back? Or what about the hassles and the troubles that, he had, that we might face? Turn back. What about the parable of the, uh, of the inopportune? I hate that phrase. Of the friend who came to the house and started banging. I've got visitors. I've got visitors. How his persistence got him an answer. His persistence. Luke heard those stories and he ruminated on them. What desire could come against a heart fortified by the parable of the prodigal son? What desire could this world create? What, what could be offered? What would take your eyes off Christ if you knew the story of the prodigal son? Tyler, you would be filled with a vision of Christ, a vision of God the Father that would move you. It would move you, not the things of this world move you. Jesus was alive to him. He was a believer, but thorough talking to eyewitnesses and spending time with the people of God, his faith had been increased. Then traveling with Paul, the reality of who God is and who Jesus is impacted him in such a way that he could not go back. Seeing lives and communities transformed, seeing the change in people's lives, that's what it's all about. Lives transformed. There is something that happened in the life of Luke that he wouldn't turn back. Didn't matter what was going to come against him. He marches on regardless of the conflict around him. He marches on regardless of the church politics. He marches on regardless of the opportunities to be offended. He marches on regardless of the praise and worship team. He marches on regardless of the pastor calling, not calling, or texting, or not texting. He marches on because he knows that Jesus is alive. I've seen it. I know that he's transformed lives and he's transformed mine. I'm no longer a physician. I'm now a theologian or a historian. When we get the word of God deep down into us, when we percolate it on it, you know, I, I've had that image in my mind of the seed being scattered and being planted when we moved our house. And the guy came out and he scattered the seed and, well, he might have had one of them fancy new things and he wheeled it up and down. And there's places where it's not as nice as others. There's places where it's a wee bit patchy. You know what? I think about Luke and I'm speaking to eyewitness after eyewitness after eyewitness. And I, and I think about him writing it down and writing it down and writing it down. And you know what? He's not just scattering the word, he's planting the word. I gotta plant that in there. I gotta plant that in there. I gotta plant that in there. Because that's gonna be something that's gonna keep me going. It's gonna keep my eyes on him, focused on God. When we keep our eyes on him, we are not moved. We abide faithful because he is faithful. It is important that we are faithful. We keep singing those songs. He's a faithful God, and he is. You know, we, there's a lot of kids now coming to the church the last years too, three, four years, uh, just to include them all. You know, and whenever they're born, we all get excite, excited and we say, oh, look, they've got the mummy's eyes. They've got the daddy's chin. Oh, it's just wonderful. Look at that. They get a wee bit older. They start to look like another and, you know, whatever. 
And then as they get the older and they start to be personality starting to come out, and we look at them and we say, oh, look, they're boisterous like their dad, or oh, they've got the gentle spirit of their mum, or we wish they did. <laughs> How much more as the people of God, as the children of God, should we start to exhibit some of the things that he, that he is known for? Look, the faithful. Look, the remainer. He who abided. He who is always there, dependable. Only Luke is with me. What a testimony to the Luke. What a testimony to God's power, God's word. What an encouragement for us all. God is a good God and he is worthy of our affections. In Mark 12, verse 30, it says, and you, sh uh, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Mark writing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. As I said at the beginning, I hope this message is a message that as a warning is a hope and as an encouragement. I hope it's given us something that we remember. Listen, just because things are going well doesn't mean we take our eyes off him, keep our eyes on him even more. You know, prepare for the day ahead. We, we, you know, the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. We don't pray that. Things are going well. We don't think, let's get more into the word. Let's pray more. We should. Let's pray, seek him more, keep it alive. So we have tonight Demas, the renegade, Mark, the restored, and Luke, the remainer. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk